Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in emerging areas of PR. We'll be taking those hot topics in public relations, dispelling any myths, breaking down the jargon, so you are completely clued up and ready to speak to your stakeholders by the time you reach the office. If you have any questions around the episode, please feel free to tweet me at Stella Bales. In this episode, I interview Effie Kinua. Effie is the director of the PR and comms team at Hirsch UK, which is the big publishing group. There's a number of reasons why I wanted to chat to Effie. On this podcast, I talk a lot about agency communications. So I was really keen to speak to an in-house team and really get behind the scenes. I saw that Effie's team had picked up a lot of awards last year. So I was keen to understand how this year was comparing for them especially as Effie and her team lead the communications for one of the world's largest publishing groups. Pretty important for us in PR. We talk about how Hearst and the media titles have had to adapt in the last year, the shift in their objectives, and how that has affected the work that Effie and her team do. We also chat about the shift in their strategy and Effie's learnings in the strength in internal communications. We also talk about how their team is responsible for driving some of the traffic to the publisher media titles and the coverage that helps them do that. And then in turn, the huge measurement process that a team that's getting multimedia comms involved has. You know I love a metric, so we get into the detail. Whether you're in-house or you're in an agency that sells into some of the Hearst media titles, this episode is fascinating. Here's Effie. Welcome to the show, Effie. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you on because this isn't the first time we've met. I actually worked with Effie many, many moons ago. Can, I you, can you remember how many moons ago it was? I can't <laughs> even remember how many years, but I don't know your thoughts, but Splendid was definitely one of, like, it felt like my home because I was there for yeah. so long and, you know, like working on amazing counts and, and just the people that were there. So probably my fondest memories of working agency side were working at Splendid. Yeah, it really was. It was a great time. Um, hi to all the guys at, at Splendid. But that was your agency days, as yeah. you said. But you are now in-house at Hearst UK. You're director of PR and comms at Hearst UK, right? Yep. yep. And I guess the first thing to say is congratulations, because even though we worked together many years ago, we are still connected online. And I saw... You popped up in my news feed of winning best in-house PR team at the Drum Awards that last year. Yeah, so we won two awards actually for best in-house team. So we got silver as well at the PR and Marketing Brilliance Awards. So it was a really big year for us. We worked together agency at Splendid. Did you stay in agencies for a while? Or did you go in-house after that? So I worked at like lots of different agencies. So obviously there was my Splendid days, which were brilliant. Um, I worked at MNC Saatchi. I worked at Talk Global. You know, I've had stints at like Edelman. I mean, I've pretty much worked every agency you can think of I've been there I mean if there isn't a connection to an agency somewhere then like I've done something wrong I had a great career and you know I think I pretty much worked on you know every single sector going so whether it was 
I remember I, I looked after a potato account, you know, so it's like Diageo and Smirnoff and like really like fun music events. So I've worked across everything. The good side of it is that I'm a jack of all trades. Like I can do luxury, I can do beauty, I can do tech, you know, I can do FMCG. So that was brilliant. And then I obviously then moved over to in-house. And so actually I was a comms director at Bauer Media. So I looked after the radio arm. You're going to love this, Stella. So I was looking after KISS. Kiss oh, yeah, oh, right. <laughs> um, absolutely. I could actually tell you, like, I can say I'm pretty confident that this would be my area of fascism is to say I know what song is coming on next on history at any time Have because you- I listen to it that much. So, something we used to do, we used to play something called Kistry Bingo, which is basically on a Friday when they do that like two hour slot all of you have to pick five songs that you think are going to come on and the first I would win to, to, to reach five <laughs> basically wins and so we used to play that every Friday so yeah so I worked at Bauer and I looked after I think it was like over 100 plus radio stations and then I moved to the magazine arm where I was looking after the likes of Grazia and Empire Magazine and Heat and all of those like amazing brands so so I did move in-house and then I went to a tech agency and the plan was to move to Germany and then I ended up with the job here at Hearst. Interesting. It does feel like you found your sweet spot though. You said in agency land you worked on such a big range of industries and sectors. Does make sense as to how you are so comfortable with all of those different types of online magazines and and different brands within within a publisher that that makes sense yeah the awards were last year what's interesting is obviously we have had a crazy year so those awards that you won last year were 2020 or something sort of looking at the work ahead how long have you been at Hearst well how was those years compared so from 2019 to 2020 to where we are now in the kind of work that you do in an in-house role like that yeah so I joined in 2018 and on the one hand last year we were absolutely flying like I think we had something like six nominations and we obviously you know got one two awards which was incredible but it was also our toughest year you know I think it was tough for anyone who worked in in the comms industry you know the level of sort of crisis comms internal comms just the fact that everyone was sort of, you know, working remotely. It was definitely a tough year, but I also think it was a year of opportunity. So anyone who was working in comms, if you were, and it, you know, it's different, right? If you're working in an agency and it's a PR agency, everyone knows the value of comms and everyone gets it. But if you work in a business like mine, we're a central team and there are so many teams. And so Not everyone gets comms, although everyone thinks they can do comms, which is always really interesting. I think that the sort of good thing for us last year was that people finally got it. It was like the penny dropped and people realised just how valuable comms was, whether it was in terms of keeping us all connected as a business or in terms of protecting our reputation or raising awareness around our brands and content. So it's almost like it was a bit of sort of 
turning point for anyone who was working in comms last year. Suddenly, I think you found all of these senior leaders who suddenly thought, actually, do you know what? My comms team, they're valuable. We need them. They do good work. And I think that was kind of the best thing about last year and everyone that I spoke to is that I think comms finally got maybe like the recognition that it's always deserved. You always feel like you're beavering away in, in the background and it's a bit of a thankless task. And I think last year people actually realised, I mean, right up to the top, like CEO level, everyone realised just how valuable it was. But nonetheless, for us, our work doubled, tripled sometimes, and we were working constantly. So it was it was a tough grind. Mm. Obviously, everybody in comms, whether it's agency or in-house, had a shift in their objectives in the last year. But for you guys, you just said that your work kind of doubled. So did you have your existing objectives plus new ones? And also, I guess the second part of that question was that if you were starting to be recognised in other areas of the business or by new people, were you being briefed by by new people in different ways as well? Okay, so so I'll answer the, the first part. So in terms of our objectives changing, so as a business, we've always had the same business objectives at Hearst UK, which is to grow print share. So that's the number of people that buy our magazine. So whether it's Cosmopolitan, Good Housekeeping, Harper's, L, Men's Health, etc. So that's grow print share. Digital acceleration. So that's growing our audiences that are coming through to, you know, through to our sort of online sites. And, you know, the reason why that's important is obviously, you know, as a commercial business, there's sort of ad revenue, but there's also the e-commerce side as well, which, you know, has become ever more important. So I think e-commerce for us as a business grew to 300 and 22%, so it increased by up to 322% last year. So that shows the phenomenal shift of people sort of moving online. It doesn't, you know, it totally makes sense because we were in a pandemic and people's sort of shopping habits change. And then the third strand of our um, business strategy is revenue diversification. And for us, that means everything from sort of licensing. So we do like partnerships with like the likes of home base um so we'll have like a country living you know carpet or you know country living sofa with a partnership with dfs so we do all of these and i think men's health had a gym range so there's you know there's all of that licensing the brand names and then the other part is accreditation so we had the good house Keeping Institute that's now evolved into the Hearst Institute. So what that means is, is that anyone anyone in consumer PR, especially in the UK, I'm sure there is a US equivalent. We do have a lot of US listeners, which I was going to explain history, but maybe I'll do that. <laughs> US listeners, because <laughs> you need to know. But yeah, good housekeeping. Anyone who, as I say, has worked in consumer PR would have at some point known that they needed to get that good housekeeping badge it was so important wasn't it I remember when I was at Hill and Knowlton that being like the big thing that we had to do with our products it, I mean it, it really is and the thing is when I first started like one of the first things I did I think in my first two weeks was that I had my visit and like they were showing me like for example with vacuum cleaners they get like 
cats and dogs hair from Battersea Dogs Home and like they're using the vacuum cleaners to like test like you know they'll test washing machines and they'll like you know use different sort of stains like coffee stains and food stains and stuff like that so it's all rigorous so you, it's not something like you can buy it goes through a really sort of thorough rigorous process but that used to be sort of good housekeeping we now do it across all our other brands so it could be cosmopolitan and l etc so that sort of became like a big part and then the other part of revenue diversification were our events and obviously our events kind of moved online like there was a time where we would have like you know from September to December all of these amazing events they were Squire Townhouse the L list Harper's Bazaar Women of the Year and you know we'd be there as a comms team on the red carpet you know managing all of these amazing events and obviously for us last year there's been a massive shift and actually just as lockdown happened we had to shift Women's Health Live, which was supposed to be in Islington Town Hall. You know, it's a weekend event, lots of fitness influencers, classes, talks, etc. And we literally had a couple of weeks to cancel the talent who were flying in from the US, you know, let all of our sort of people know who'd bought tickets, let all of our suppliers know and all the people who had, you know, come to exhibit. And we had to shift it to a virtual event, which we did through Facebook Live. Um, and we ran it as a free event. And that was amazing because it was right at the start of the pandemic. Remember, we were all shut inside. And actually, it was really nice for women's health as a brand because we were able to offer free workouts and things like mindfulness and meditation and stuff at a period where literally everyone was in dire straits and that was exactly the type of thing that people needed so so that was kind of really good for us and tying into your question about how our objectives changed what was interesting was that we had had a shift in terms of like our comms focus where we were looking at sort of three key strands so luxury homes and lifestyle and, and entertainment and wellness and we were going to have a big push on entertainment and wellness pre-pandemic so what was so weird was was that that big focus like that was one of our objectives for the year it was like grow men's health women's health runners world digital spy really focus on them and suddenly it was like you know we were talking about the importance of mental health and and like all the research we were doing in women's health and men's health we were talking about all of the sort of free workouts that we were offering and stuff so it was so weird that actually that smashed your KPIs yeah, <laughs> our KPIs and that's probably been sort of one of our our biggest growth areas and then the other thing was around internal comms and that was something that maybe we did twice a month and then it, it turned into our CEO because we were all working remote because everyone had so many questions you know there was a lot of information to get out there we were sending out notes every day we're now down to sort of three times a week and we have a virtual all staff where different parts of the business will sort of come in and sort of talk about their different uh, business areas we also have um, a wellness section so we're really we've really been focusing and I think that's where you know I'm really proud that our team's been able to help we've really been trying to focus on supporting you know our staff because we're you know it's been a tough year and so like we have things like that you know the bowl thing sound bathing session oh, yeah. yeah you know mindfulness all of that type of stuff and it's really nice it's on a Friday and it's a great way for us all to sort of feel connected yeah so the internal comms 
increase yeah. that you mentioned. So it sounds like that that was something that was new since pandemic. The areas that you decided to focus on were, were already set. It was just, yeah. you know, by chance that they were the areas that we all needed as well. But in terms of KPIs, you mentioned that when I said you must have smashed those. Can you set KPIs for internal comms? And how do you measure the success of keep people feeling connected? Yeah. Especially working remote as well. So, so one of the things that I actually did when I joined Hearst um, at the start was that I wanted to show the business. So remember, like I said, it's probably the first time everyone's realised how valuable comms is. The thing is, I realised if you can't show people, if you don't have metrics, if you don't have the data, no one really understands. So right at the start, I was looking for different ways that we could measure that. So in terms of like our corporate and consumer, we had KPIs. And so we were tracking, you know, quarter on quarter and year on year what we were doing. So it's number of pieces, right? And it's also audience reach. And that supports our overall business strategy. So, you know, letting people know about the brand, growing print share, but also digital acceleration. So making sure we have those click throughs that go through to our online sites, you know, that serves advertising and e-commerce, etc. So that's all taken care of. What we didn't have was a metric for internal comms. So we actually invested in a platform that tracks basically open rates, engagement, etc. So we measure ourselves quarter on quarter and also year on year because what I want to be able to explain to the business is actually, you know, this is this is what's working. So these are the types of things that work and people are interested in, in terms of internal comms. This frequency works, you know, that the sort of level of content, the engagement. So all of that, I can now go back to my business and like say, this is great or this isn't great, like we need to change it and skew it. And I think before that, you were always having a conversation with senior stakeholders, but you didn't have any data to back it up. So I would say for comms, I mean, you, you love you love a bit of data and you love... I do, partial to a metric. Partial <laughs> to a metric, but but I think that's been... Not for internal comms, it's not it's not an area, obviously people, you know, it's no lie that I put a coverage book and, um, and obviously... That's for external comms. And that's what I always talk about and what I've always worked in. I haven't ever focused on internal comms, but it's a really important part of our industry. And my God, isn't it an important part right now, as, as, you, as you're saying right now? So the Hearst UK audience or staff that you were communicating with, how, how big is that? How many people are you, were you communicating with? So that's about um, 800 odd. So with eye crossing, I think it's over nine. So we've got various sites around the UK. So in Brighton, got an eye crossing office. Um, we've got an office in Feltham, an office in Manchester, St Anne's Court, which was the original sort of good housekeeping institute. So yeah, so we've got sort of various sites around the UK, but also my boss was promoted to president of Europe. And so there were three more markets that were added into the mix. So actually, so part of my remit was as common leader of Europe was to create 
you know, we would send out a monthly sort of newsletter from our CEO to all of our staff. So talking about our business news and celebrating our successes and showcasing what we'd done across our brands. And he very much wanted to do that as well for all of our other markets. And so we do one as well that features all of our different markets in Spain, the Netherlands and Italy as well. So that's been really important because a lot of the work that we now do is that there's you know there's a crossover right so you know my team will share best practice with our comms teams and other markets and sort of vice versa we're sort of sharing sort of training key learnings you know we might work together and sort of do similar things you know it, it kind of makes sense to be a lot more aligned yeah so it doesn't sound like this is uh going to decrease at any point it's not internal comms isn't you know we're, we're starting to go back the time that we're recording this we were just talking about before we went on air that we're starting to test out going back into the office and I know a lot of you guys who agency or in-house are exploring that at the moment but do you think it's going to decrease it will it always be a focus now for you guys? I think it's going to be a focus for all companies all companies that are going to move towards hybrid working and I would be really shocked if there was a business that wouldn't have some form of hybrid working moving forward, because essentially the world has changed and I don't think the world will ever go back to how it was where everyone is in all of the time, five days a week in the office, because basically we've proven that we can work, you know, together effectively and not all be in the office at the same time. So whilst I think that people are coming in and out of an office at different times, they might be in different locations, etc. I think because of that, in order to sort of keep your staff, and, and that's the thing about internal comms, if you think what it's there to do, it's to communicate important business news. So like, whereas you might do like a physical all stuff where you all get together, it's to communicate important business news but also to keep you feeling connected so there isn't a feeling of sort of isolation. And that's what I think good internal comms does is it kind of keeps motivating its its staff whilst we're all in sort of like different different, you know, scenarios and not all together. And so I would say that any business that isn't focusing or investing in internal comms is missing a trick because ultimately you want a workforce that is motivated and being productive and feels valued and celebrated. And that's where I think internal comms really, really supports that. Yeah. You talked about motivation just there and the wider Hearst UK audience that you're talking to. And that sounds like it's worked really well. This podcast is brought to you by Coverage Book, the reporting tool that's made by PR people for PR people. Head to coveragebook.com for your free trial. Thinking about communications people specifically and your team, but then also just you and I and how we all interact and how we are human interactors. And that's why we're in these roles probably. Yeah. How do you think as comms people who need that human interaction and communication, do you think that we will change as communicators because we traditionally have always needed to sort of be in person? And I know that I have. That's been something that I've struggled with in the last year and I can't wait to meet people in real life again. But where do you think it might take us? Do you think we'll see different types of PR people in the future? I mean, I think comms people will always be comms people because essentially it's all about building relationships. I mean, like 
there's lots of different facets to, to comms, right? But it's like building relationships either with your stakeholders or your clients or, you know, with journalists or whatever it is. So, or with talent, you know, there's lots of relationship building that I think you almost miss from doing things virtually. Like, it's not the same. If you and I were sitting together in a room, it like, it would feel like... It, it's that's almost sensory feeling you know mm. it's it's not that it isn't still a quality conversation but it's, no, it's but this, so much this podcast will probably be about three hours yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean it's like it's like you you miss something where you don't you don't have human interaction but Stella I'll be honest I I've changed over the past year and all of my friends that I've spoken to have massively changed as well I used to like have you know like a journey or you know I was networking or you know I had an event or you know like there was something pretty much you know almost every day of the week and then at the weekends I was like you know really busy social life as well I'm knackered I literally do not have the inclination or the desire to do that and I think that's what's changed for me on a personal level. That's what I think has changed for a lot of people. Um, and I think as comms people and, you know, the, the thing that I've noticed about speaking to like lots of comms people is that they're exhausted. Like last year was, you know, a tough year and sort of battered everyone. So I think everyone's going to be thinking about what is quality of life do I always have to be doing so much or can I scale it back and sort of do less? Which means you don't have to go to every event. Like you can do this, like, you know, a PR meet, you could do it like this. And so I think some behaviours will 100% change because I think people are realising that sort of time is more valuable, like you, like all of that stuff and getting the balance and like thinking about your mental health and all of that type of stuff. So I think we will see a shift. And how big is your team as well with Hearst UK? Sure. So so there's um so there's six of us. So it's kind of quite a small team and it's split up into a dedicated person who works on internal comms and, and then um sort of three separate PR managers that look after the different divisions. So luxury, entertainment and wellness and homes and lifestyle and then a deputy. And what we've tried to do, so like I said, it, it was a tough year for us in terms of the level of things we saw, particularly around crisis comms. I think, you know, if anything, crisis comms and internal comms, that's where it sort of, you know, really put the pressure on us last year. So we've just like done things like... You know, it sounds really cliched, but it makes a difference. So we started to have tea breaks where we wouldn't talk about work. We would just talk about what we'd watched on TV or we're all quite into fitness. We're all a bit like fitness mad. So, you know, what new workouts we were doing and stuff like that. And I think that's that's really important. Um, I started doing more one-to-ones with them. So checking in because I think 
when we were so isolated and it was just becoming a bit more like the same thing every day, day in, day out, relentless. I think that was really important to support um, everyone's sort of mental health and well-being. Um, so we've tried to sort of mix things up. We got together for the first time in December because we'd had a new starter who'd, you know, started early last year, had never met the team. So we've like had a couple of socials. I was in yesterday and two of my team were in. So it was really nice to see them because I hadn't seen them for for a few months because obviously we've been in lockdown. So that's that's the thing. We've like just tried to mix it up. So it's like, you know, doing your proper work meetings, but also doing some social stuff because we're all human. So, you Mm. know, it's nice to have a natter, isn't it? And just, you know, talk about (laughs) frivolous stuff. That's what we do. (laughs) Uh, you mentioned earlier on that some of the objectives for Hearst UK that were already set, you have targets around increasing print share and also digital acceleration and e-commerce. I was I wanted to go back to it because I was quite surprised at, at how many factors you have in those KPIs and objectives. And also because it's quite interesting for listeners in the PR world who normally approach some of these titles and have their eye on how much traffic those those websites get because if they're getting coverage in those websites they've, they've got an eye on that so it's really really fascinating to know that you guys as a PR team are sort of have some focus on trying to increase that traffic too you mentioned that you you when you get coverage you're looking at whether they have links is that sort of the main element of how you sort of try and drive traffic to to these or increase traffic to to the publications yeah I mean so so my focus is my focus is on audience reach so making sure that our brands whether it's a health title or a fashion title or whatever is well known in its particular sector so um a lot of our focus has been around broadcast because we know we can get out to wider audiences. But then there's the other side, which comes through digital traffic, just because obviously digital is great because it drives people through. So it's it's key for me just because I think if I'm thinking about what are my PR objectives and how do they link into our overall business objectives? If I'm thinking about how I grow print share, so making our brands well known so that people buy subscriptions and like last year when we were investing heavily as a team in making our brands well known, whether it was, you know, women's health and men's health is like the go-to for all things fitness, et cetera. We actually saw our subscriptions increase during a pandemic by up to 200%. And that's just a quick question. When you say subscriptions, is that an online paywall subscription? Are you talking print? Print. So talk and digital, but predominantly print. So you would think that, you know, shops were closed, travel retail that was really important to us that's, you know, like we we would have suffered in that respect, but where we did see massive growth was through subscriptions and through e-commerce. But I actually have, you know, as a business, we kind of understand because you think about all of the stuff that was out there last year, a lot of it was negative. And I guess where we position ourselves as Hearst is like a like a beacon of positivity. Mm-hmm. All of the stuff that we were showing was like, it was like, 
giving you a bit of luxury. It was like giving you beauty tips. It was like giving you the best recipes. It was giving you the best workouts. Like everything we did, the best sort of Netflix series to binge on. So everything that we did, I think we added value to our readers' lives. And so I'm kind of not surprised that our subscriptions increased. It kind of makes sense. This is so interesting, you know, Prince, the Prince not dead, guys. Uh, so, like, where are they at now? Now people are starting to move around a little bit more. We're not completely locked down. Because I can actually understand when you just talked it through. I thought, yeah, you know what? I I bought a magazine in when we were in full lockdown for the first time in absolutely years. I want to say almost a decade. Because it was a nice escape. Yeah. It all of a sudden felt like I was on holiday. You could just take yourself away from what was going on. There's no mention of, you know, COVID numbers and etc but where where are they at now are they still the same level are they starting to decline again I only know what our figures were last year and I mean we're only halfway through the year but the thing about subscriptions was it's a subscription and it's ongoing so this isn't even about like actively purchasing you know a magazine in you know in a supermarket or in a shop it's people deciding do you know what I I want Cosmopolitan being delivered to me on a monthly basis. It's that type of thing. And so um, I don't know, will sort of trends change? Um, I think that people now are a lot more focused on sort of, um, you know, finding, like bringing quality to their lives. And I think the good thing about a lot of our magazine brands, it's, it's almost like having like a trusted friend. And it's a bit of a luxury. Like you said, it's like the one time when you're reading a magazine, it's the one time that you can almost switch off the rest of the world and like really immerse yourself in the content. And I think what's great about us is that we we've like managed to create brands that can speak to people in sort of different ways, but wherever they are. So it's whether or not you want to like have a nice tea break and like flick through, you know, a nice magazine or like read it when you're in the bath. Or if you want to look at it on your phone and like, you know, check up on like the latest, you know, like beauty tips or like fashion finds or it could be through socials, Uh, it could be like watching an Instagram live where there might be a quick, we did a lot of lunchtime workouts, right? So it's like you could go onto women's health and men's health, you'd get your lunch break and there'd be a nice little short snappy like workout thing for you. So there's like lots of different platforms I think that we can engage um, with our audiences and with our readers. So will that change? I don't know, but I do definitely feel as though people are starting to look at brands that are useful and that add you know a benefit to their lives and so I'd like to think that we've definitely proved in the past year you know all of those helpful things like you know parents who had never had their family all at home and something they were cooking three meals a day you know good housekeeping and delish were like pumping out those recipes people who'd never exercised in their lives like crap you know I'm gonna have to start running and so they'd be looking at like runner's world or women's health or something like that so i would like to think or like doing a haircut for the first time how many people did haircuts for the first time and you'd get a squire like doing like a barber's like how like DIY how to cut hair so I would like to think that now we've almost like become ingrained in our audience's lives and you know we'll still be a part of it 
It sounds like you've, you have really have made an impact. I mean, I know that I was looking at some of that content you've just mentioned where I wouldn't have gone to those publications previously, you know, not for a couple of years anyway. But yeah, it's so true. You've talked about different areas of communications. You've talked about raising more awareness of, of the brands, getting that into the right kind of target audience. You talked about the internal comms earlier. You also mentioned crisis. You even mentioned some uh, Instagram lives that were going out through the pandemic. The thing that, I mean, we did just say that I'm, I'm partial to a metric. The thing that I can't stop thinking about is how you are measuring all of this. You know, sometimes with our coverage book um, customers, they have, so say it's, it's a, normally it's just external comms and, and normally there's not much crisis in that. It could just be a campaign. But even with that, we have so many different platforms, different types of media, which all have different types of metrics. So whether it's like a social platform or a live or, a you know, a story or a snap then the, the articles there's so measurement now for PR is very different to when we started obviously but I mean how does a team like yours go about pulling together all of those different types of different areas of comms different types of media I mean do you have somebody like trying to pull all of that together and analyzing it so everyone does it for their own brand so every sort of campaign and big push that we do We'll use coverage book, obviously. Um, <laughs> didn't have to no, but no, but no. <laughs> That's a little stirred. I mean, it, it, it's limited, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and try and sell it. But people know it's limited. But we, we use it because it's a great way. So, for example, um, you know, this past week we've done cover cover releases, so cover drops with our latest editions for Cosmopolitan. So we had Molly May on the cover of Cosmopolitan. We had our latest L. She did a great tweet about that front cover, didn't she, by the way? You must have been pleased with that. What did she say? <laughs> I haven't seen it. Before. Oh, no, she was really, she, she was just very proud yeah. that, um, you know, she said it wasn't that long ago that she was buying that magazine. Anyway, now I'm revealing that I seem to follow <laughs> Molly May. So let's you're, move on. Let's a, move on. A <laughs> Molly May follower. But, like, we've, we've had L, we've had Harper's Bazaar, we've had Cosmopolitan, we had Marcus Rashford on the cover of Men's Health that obviously did really right. well. And so for us, in, in terms of us being able to capture and measure all of that and to share that with the teams, we have that metric. We also do sort of quarter on quarter. So as I mentioned, like our external comms, we have quarter on quarter analysis. So how did we do this year 2021 compared to 2020 and then I'll also have the figures from 2019 right so it's tracking that obviously the pandemic is a bit of an anomaly but still like it's good to know and then we'll have like year on year and who does that comparison looking back and then and then comparing the data do you have a data and analytics team or is that still within your PR team so it's still within us but obviously we use you know we've got an external cutting service and so they pull together all of the data so what they look at for us is they look at a sort of quarter on quarter um, metric because that's really important for me to know how we're doing and what they measure is both corporate and consumer comms but then I also um, we have a list of sort of key brands that we want them to sort of track and measure against so they'll look at things like you know Red Magazine has had like a 20% increase in targeted audience reach and stuff like that or like a you know you know x percentage generation and number of pieces or has increased its audience by x percent and that's all really important and information that then we can feed back to the teams 
Um, and it's interesting for us to kind of see how we're doing, like, you know, are there any sort of seasonal trends? Like, you know, are we getting more coverage? You know, like for example, for us, we used to see massive peaks during Q3 and Q4, because that's when the bulk of our events were, right? Because, you know, we're having all of these amazing- Christmas. Yeah, well, yeah, we were having red carpet events and obviously, you know, some of our events, you've got, you know, all of this talent and that was like generating, et cetera, et cetera. So we would traditionally always see Q3 and Q4 as being like our largest months but I think actually last year when we had that real focus around sort of health and wellness and we started doing a lot more we actually saw it like a shift in behavior so that to me is all sort of really interesting but I guess what I'm always trying to um, ask the team to do is like you know th this is how we did what can we think of what can we do to make it even better and increase on it and I just mm. think that's important. I think you need to challenge yourself. I think you need to have KPIs. I think you need to track um, how you do. And I think you need to be able to relay that to your, your stakeholders within the business and, and like demonstrate the value. Mm. Year on year and month on month. I mean, especially year on year used to be a norm in metrics that we would be able to look back on. It's now that we need a, a pre-COVID year on year and then, because it's just sure. an anomaly. Or, or not, you know, maybe it's just like you say, maybe we'll always just be in, in this state, but we will never be the same. We're already in this in this year. It's it's not the same as that first lockdown of 2020. So, you know, it's like I know for our own metrics with coverage book and answer the public, our year we're, we're just looking on year and year just from last year because it's completely different to the year before. But yeah, it's a really interesting one with, with metrics. Just um, a quick one with um reporting in you mentioned at the beginning that you you were starting to, as a team, started to feel that different stakeholders were really feeling the importance and, yeah. and, and the value that your team were bringing. Have you found that you're reporting into different people or more people now around the business because of that? So it's not reporting. So like my reporting line hasn't changed. Our stakeholders haven't changed. Like essentially our stakeholders are all the different areas around the business, whether it's our, you know, commercial teams or, you know, our HR teams or our data teams or whatever it is, like the different areas around the business, plus all of our brands. So we've got 23 brands and it's all of those brands are our stakeholders. So that hasn't changed. Um, I guess with the focus on internal comms, you know, our stakeholders, you know, our staff essentially are our stakeholders. So, you know, understanding whether or not our internal comms is working and is valuable has been really key. And actually we do um, this, like, it's like an engagement survey and it asks, you know, it surveys lots of different things like career growth and strategy and da, da, da. And there was a question that was put in this year around, the effectiveness of um, internal comms. And actually we received the highest score. So I think it was 9.3 out of 10 in terms of um, engagement. And not only do you get like all of the, the data, so that's, you know, essentially pretty much out of, you know, 800 odd people, everyone's scoring nine or 10 out of 10, which is incredible, right? But then you also, we got to see, you can add comments and we got to see all of, all of the anecdotal data in terms and feedback which we took on board of what worked so we included news reports so we 
included the latest um, COVID UK news, but also the international COVID news. People love that purely because they didn't want to watch the news every day that was doom and gloom. And so to have that sort of short, sharp, snappy, like burst within those daily notes, they found really valuable. And so it's like lifting different things like that, I, I think have been sort of really helpful to us. So I would say our stakeholders are the same, but I guess in terms of, because now we have, you know, the way that we can share data and, and metrics. So we also track our socials as well and see like how we're performing well with our sort of corporate and business posts. What I've got us into the habit of doing is reporting back to the business, reporting back, this is how we did, this. these are the trends that we've seen, you know, this is what we're gonna try and do to help, you know, increase or balance or solve whatever and that's what I think you know as a comms person I think you know what makes you a good uh, comms person is by being strategic and I see being strategic as finding a problem or seeing a business problem and then trying to put solutions and measures in place to help solve that problem that's the bottom line of strategy and so everything that I think about what you know in terms of what we do as a team is to help support our overall business strategy and objectives but to find solutions through comms to help support mm. it. Yes, so it's so true. I love measurement and I love looking into metrics, but essentially, you know, all of those numbers don't matter. We're, all we're trying to do is make people feel something, take an action, you know, shift opinion. And, and it's so hard to just get down to that nitty gritty. But if you have that insight to those 800 people of not only knowing that they have opened it, they've read it, they've engaged, but you've actually made them feel good. I mean, that is absolute yeah. gold, isn't it? And, and like you say, then you can put that into the strategy and re and test and learn again. So it's 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 an amazing decision, and no wonder award winning team to be able to do that. <laughs> I can't wait for you to enter because all of those awards were before with your internal comms, weren't they? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like like I mean, like we did really well last year. So like we've been focusing more on sort of internal comms. So you know, moving forward, we've we've kind of like focused on entering on internal comms just because we really did put in the hard work like you know it's not only that we we were basically almost like and if you saw it if I could show it to you we were almost creating mini internal magazines and newsletters for our staff and like you know these like visual like guest guest speakers on our all stuff so like we really have you know put so much into our internal comms so if I had a wish for this year it would be that we would be recognized for all the sort of hard work that we've done around that you know I hope that you are entering some awards but the main because you deserve it but also I'm just really interested in looking at if they can ever be shared like some of those metrics you've talked about we've been able to look at internal comms I wonder if there's you know anything that we can learn and to think about with external I know it's really always such a tricky area of measurement to know whether we've actually changed opinion or or made somebody take an action but that change in feeling I mean it's something why we, we, we try and look at with answer the public by looking at the ways that people search to try and understand whether they've actually 
felt something from a from a campaign or from some communications but it's so top line so yeah it's it's great to sort of take some of those learnings so if it is you can ever share anything like that whether it's through awards it would be so interesting to see in the future I, I will tell you something that you might find interesting so we actually um and we haven't released it yet but um we have actually been working with Bournemouth University to have a look at uh, um, people's and it's a piece of research using something called ERM. And it's basically a way of tracking people's emotions and action in real time. And we've actually done that across our magazine titles to see whether or not, you know, engaging with one of our titles or brands either changes their mood or feeling, but also changes their consumer behaviour and forces them you know like guides them to take action and that's really interesting research right like there's lots of data points that they've looked at but it's done in real time um, and it's like this groundbreaking sort of measurement system that kind of tracks things because otherwise you know like normally with a survey it's like after the fact or before the fact but this tracks you in real time so I think that's really interesting I don't know how we do that through comms but I mm. like looking at all of that I found that fascinating Mm. I know just from the software world, there is testing that you can do when you see somebody, if somebody's frustrated with something like on some tech, which is, you know, it can be often, can't it? When somebody, something doesn't work, there's a, I think it's called the, the rage click. So if somebody gets annoyed with something not working, they can click very fast because they're frustrated. <laughs> and apparently yeah. like, that's a way of telling whether somebody's not, in, not enjoying right. the content. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I know that there's lots of different technologies out there and it goes between going, okay, have people put themselves forward to be tracks like that? Because we yeah. start to go into a little bit, the sort of black mirror realm, don't we, in ethics. But if people are putting themselves forward, it's absolutely no different to more of the traditional not so helpful research methods like you say surveys which can be really biased and quite old news as well can't they but yeah okay well good luck with that kind of research it sounds really interesting and even more a reason to enter some awards Effie thank you so much we've been talking for a while now and I could keep going if we were in real life I'm sure we would go into the evening Um, but absolutely fascinating to see your move from agencies and now finding your absolute sweet spot of uh, leading an internal comms team Effie thank you so much our talk we've been talking for a while now and I could keep going if we were in real life I'm sure we would go into the evening Um, but absolutely fascinating to see your move from agencies and now finding your absolute sweet spot of uh, leading an internal comms team that's a really really successful team by the sounds of it so thank you for joining me and sharing all of that Thanks for having me. Keep in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales. For more reading on PR, head to blog.coveragebook.com and make sure you subscribe to the series on iTunes now. See you there. This is the PR Resolution Podcast. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode 